0: Amen. Please remain standing. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 8. A, si- a sermon titled Ministry for the Right Reasons. Hear now God's Word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, have you done anything in life? Pursued anything in life, devoted time, energy, money, resources into anything in life, when after a month, a year, or a decade goes by and you pause and say, was this worth it? Was this done all in vain without any progress, result, or fruit? I think many of us here have experienced this in some way, shape, or form, that thinking. But when navigating through all of Paul's missionary journeys uh, planting churches, dealing with conflict, putting out fires, or reveling in joy at gospel fruit, I don't think Paul could ever truly think that this missionary gospel ministry work was done in vain, as verse 1 says. The gospel of Jesus Christ was marching forward, and nobody could stop it at all. So Paul and other others uh, his missionary team planted the church in Thessalonica one of the early churches earliest churches and one of the earliest New Testament epistles ever written and what happens at this church seems to be a precursor to the gospel fruit of all his ministry and ministry and missionary journeys of course by the power and grace of God but Paul knew this that this was not done in vain no matter what people were trying to tell him and so I, I am just thoroughly enjoying just already two weeks into this series in 1 Thessalonians. Delighted to journey through this letter with you all this fall. So uh, please rejoice in God's word. Well, Paul outlines in this passage three major aspects of ministry that he would dare not compromise. Something he wanted to exemplify, as our title suggests, Ministry for the Right Reasons. So one author helps break the passage down with three major aspects of Paul's ministry that we can see from today's text, and I'll repeat them as we go on. But they are the message of ministry, the motives of ministry, and number three, the manner of ministry. Nice alliteration. The message of ministry, the motives of ministry, and the manner of ministry. But let's set the scene again, especially some of you guys haven't been here for the last uh, two introductory sermons in the series. Paul, this apostle, with the help of other trusted gospel workers, Silas and Timothy, planted this new church in Thessalonica, which back then in the ancient world was Macedonia. It was a Roman port city in what is now today northern Greece. And we are helped by the account in Acts 16 and 17, namely that in this... City, the gospel really took off when these apostles visited. But then what happens in Acts 17? Orthodox Jews were upset at how they were preaching about Christ as Lord, as divine. And then city authorities didn't like how they were deterring people from worshiping Caesar. And so persecution arose, and eventually Paul and Silas had to abruptly flee Thessalonica and continue their ministry in southern Greece, we know as the city of Corinth. So they're in Corinth. This is where they are right now, writing this letter, because Timothy has recently come to them, a trusted ministry partner, and he has rejoined rejoined Paul and Silas with really encouraging news about these Thessalonians, that they're still flourishing in their walk with Christ. They adore the Savior, and even amidst suffering, they continue to exhibit the fruit of salvation, that wonderful a summary in verse 3 two weeks ago with their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. Wonderful news to give God the praise, and Paul and his team were, were doing that. But despite all of this good news about the response to the gospel and this new church of new converts, a thriving church, which is the overall theme of this letter, oh, here comes the opposition. As we as was pretty normal in Paul's ministry experience. Those naysayers that were likely accusing Paul of shady business and shady ministry. Almost every letter we see in the New Testament, Paul is defending his apostleship, his ministry, and the one true gospel. We saw that in previous sermons on 2 Corinthians and, of course, last fall in the letter to the Galatians. And so in today's passage, we see Paul defend their ministry being done for the right reason, not for the wrong, corrupt reason, but for the right reasons. Whether implicitly or explicitly, he shares gospel boldness amidst gospel opposition from their opponents. And you know what gives him confidence? Well, he says this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency, church, is from God and so with that grounding with that stability that comes from Christ Paul can boldly write these words that we see in verses one through four and again that first heading is the message of ministry look at your Bibles and keep that open in front of you for you yourselves know brothers that our coming to you was not in vain but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Well, then Paul wants to focus first on what? The message of ministry. If you want to do ministry for the right reasons, well, number one has to be right there at the top, at the center. Oh, you have to have the message of ministry right. The heart and soul of why they were called in the first place. This gospel of God, he says, which is the gospel of the good news centering on Jesus' perfect, obedient life, his atoning, propitiating death, and, of course, his mighty resurrection from the grave. Yes, perhaps, some am wondering, why come and plant? Hey, Paul, hey, hey, Silas, we get you, we love you, but why plant a church, a great, thriving, gospel-centered church, and then quickly dart off to the next city? Of course, we could understand that. Well, of course, there were many factors involved in the split-second decision to leave. That's what, you know, today's day and age in, in America, oh, you could always contemplate with elders and deacons about churches and people coming and going, and you can spend months and years on that. But them, 2,000 years ago, it was life or death. And so they had a split-second decision to leave. But Paul, Silas, and Timothy know full well that their short time with them was definitely not in vain. And that word in verse 1 for vain is a Greek word meaning empty. Oh, their work did not yield emptiness, Paul knows, But a treasure trove of eternal significance. For the gospel has already taken root. Oh, if you've seen that at a church, you know what Paul is saying. If you've seen that in your own heart, my testimony, my experience growing up in church from uh, as long as I can remember to my mid 20s, where something is happening, God. The gospel is finally taking root. And not just on a superficial, emotional high type of way, but the gospel had taken deep root because I see the evidence of gospel fruit. And so Paul is already starting to build a defense against the accusations that he wasn't doing ministry for the right reasons. In verse 2, he recognizes that the Thessalonians should already know the types of suffering Paul and Silas already went through for the gospel in Macedonia. Philippi was another city in Macedonia, noted in Acts 16, where Paul and Silas were treated horribly, beaten with rods, and then shackled in jail. And so why, the logic goes, continue on in Macedonia, if all that was happening was opposition, beatings, ridicule, being thrown in jail, what value for any sane person would it be to go through all of that for some temporary unknown gain? Acts 16, 17, I I really encourage you to read that alongside of our journey through Thessalonians. It's a fascinating read for the backdrop of this letter. Why? Because Paul was sent to this Macedonian region in the first place. Do you guys remember? Back in chapter 16, a vision came to him at night where this man, this figure comes and says, please come to Macedonia and help us. And the narration then in Acts 16 says, they immediately go. Previously, though, before this vision, the Spirit of Christ forbade them to go to certain places, but the Lord was directing them straight to Macedonia. When God told them where to go, they went, and they went boldly. It says in verse 2 As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. That's why they went. To declare the message of their ministry. That's point number one. The gospel of God, even despite persecution and opposition. Contemporary examples, you could think of Jim Elliot from Wheaton and his missionary companions that were martyred very early on while attempting to declare the gospel in Ecuador. Or Hudson Taylor's devotion to preaching the gospel in China. David Livingston in Africa. Much sacrifices were made. But even in a real kind of personal sense, I saw this, I saw this in a, a, a pastor, a good friend, who planted a gospel center church in Camden, New Jersey. The most violent city in the United States per capita at that time. And that church is still going this day. And when I was serving in Philadelphia at that time and hearing about this church plant in Camden, New Jersey, a lot of us were thinking, why? Why would you go there? And I remember him, you know, inviting me to visit him at his office. And I'm such a scared cat. It was broad daylight. The sun was shining. And I, was, I just remember vividly visiting there and just parking even near the church building and getting out and me, this suburban guy, feeling all scared, walking around their neighborhood because of all the gun violence I'd heard about. I'm not proud to admit that. But there it is. What grants people like that the confidence to do what they do for the Lord? Well, Paul says it's a boldness in our God to then declare to you the gospel of God. Noted author Andrew Young said this, quote, Paul and his friends had not strolled into the cities. Talking about Thessalonica. This missionary team did not stroll into this city as relaxed as and overfed tourists. I was kind of thinking, is he describing me? They had entered still sporting the, the scars of woeful mishandling in Philippi. Treatment like this would have been enough to stop any phony mission in its tracks. I love that summation. They weren't there for vacation. They weren't there to be treated as these celebrities. But when you face persecution, oh, if there are wrong motives and if, if, if it's just a facade, oh, that would stop that mission in its tracks. But for Paul and the others, they were not part of a phony mission to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. They kept going on. Why, it was in Acts 16 that says after the persecution the, in Thessalonica, excuse me, in, in chapter 17, the brothers are the ones That plan for Paul and Silas to get out of there in a hurry. Paul and Silas were not the ones to say, whoops, this is not good, see you later, hope everything goes well. But everyone was thinking strategically about gospel advancement, and so they needed to leave. You see, this type of boldness for the gospel is not natural. This is God-derived boldness. And God can grant us the same boldness too. Richard Phillips noted a helpful quote from an older Scottish Presbyterian named John Lilly who said this, quote, the boldness sprang from the preacher's assurance of his own personal relations to God as a redeemed sinner in the delivery of a divine message. That's what brought on this boldness. So the next time you're searching for boldness when speaking about Jesus to a non-Christian, don't find your confidence in your smooth talk. Your rehearsed lines, your past evangelistic triumphs, or your mere head knowledge. Oh, may your boldness be from the assurance that you are God's, bought at a price, a redeemed sinner, delivering a divine message. Romans 8, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So what do you have to lose? There is no shame in being embarrassed or ridiculed. Or even slandered because of what you're trying to say to them in faith and love. That boldness comes from my identity in Christ. And so boldness to then speak about the wonders of God's grace to your family. That might reject the notion. Boldness to have a spiritual conversation then with a co-worker or an abrasive neighbor. Boldness to perhaps even die for sharing your faith as we hear stories all the time from around the world. And so then in verse 3, he refutes some of the gospel that is probably out there about him, probably started by some nasty, bloodthirsty opponents. Look in verse 3. Error, impurity, and deception are the accusations. And plenty of scholars that I read say the same thing about this, that 2,000 years ago, church, oh, charlatans and traveling gifted speakers would go around the ancient world and with their smooth talk and deceptive tricks, they would trick people into paying large sums of money, speak falsities and distortions, and even get people to exchange sex for entrance into their cult, and so on and so forth. This was not Paul nor his gospel partners. He said, if you can remember from chapter 1, verse 5 through 6, he says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. This was not just reputation." This was not just hearsay. Oh, did you hear about Paul, and Timothy, godly men? They proved it among them for their sake. Verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. If there was any shadiness present there, why would people say we want to emulate this? There was so much gospel pattern in the life of Paul that they began to imitate his way, pointing to the fact that, of the ultimate goal of becoming imitators of Christ himself. He didn't waver from the message of the ministry, and they saw that up close it was validated. So his appeal of the gospel did not return empty. Rather, it proved to be true and bear much fruit, and he didn't need the tricks of the day and the culture to win over converts like the other traveling gifted speakers and charlatans, false prophets and teachers of their day. But what ultimately grants Paul the full validation of this ministry, look at your Bibles in verse 4, chapter 2. They were proved by God, entrusted with the gospel of Christ. Remember, this gospel was given to Paul on the road to Damascus in his conversion and calling. That's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper tamper with God's word but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God there is a matching of what they were preaching in their living the sheer logic of this plain defense was also presented to these Thessalonian Christians not just to Corinth and even to the opponents listening in and when you get that part of the formula right that this is for the pleasing of God who tests our hearts as as that passage says who tests our hearts of these things, as King David said in Chronicles, and not for trying to please man, then you're liberated to then be bold for Christ and his gospel. But when you try to start to please man and cater to itching ears, the pressure to be tempted to alter the gospel to suit those felt needs will grow and grow exponentially. And this is what is happening in today's church today. Therefore, ministry done for the right reasons should include, again, number one, that first heading, being grounded in the message of the ministry, the message of the redeeming grace of God, the message of the apostles of saying, be reconciled to God. So from the message of the ministry now to the second heading, the motive of ministry, verse 5 through 6 the motive of ministry. Look at your Bibles, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So if Paul and his co-workers are so confident in the message of the ministry, the gospel, what about their motives? Was Paul's motive to just be popular, to become a Christian celebrity, celebrity so to say to be immensely liked well you guys have read through a lot of the letters of Paul in the New Testament I don't think being popular or liked was a motivating factor that he struggled with in actuality Paul speaking truth even in love and much care was met with what hostility opposition opposition I don't know a lot of people that would get beaten with rods, jailed, spat at, shipwrecked, chased after from city to city, ridiculed and abused just to get some popularity. And that's why they never had to come with words of flattery, meaning excessive and insincere praise, as one dictionary says. Paul and this team never had to fake it just to make it. They were never so doubtful of, oh, is this going to be popular enough? Is this message going to offend too much? They never had a concern about that, so they never had to flatter. They just gave them the gospel straight and unaltered. Their motive was never for faint, fickle acceptance and man's own praise. Nor was their desire for excessive wealth, it says there, a pretext for greed in verse 5. Paul proved that many times over as a traveling tent maker to help make ends meet. He didn't want people to start to think that he was just looking for money, moving from city to city. He made impassioned pleas for financial support for other struggling Christians and churches, but never for himself. And he learned to be content with much or little, little as he says in the Philippians. Now, the Bible talks about providing a living wage for those in the ministry, especially preaching and teaching all those verses But Paul is careful not to be accused of greed. One theologian notes that the word for pretext means cloak. Paul and the others did not come with the gospel as a disguise, as a cloak to get what they truly wanted financial riches. That would simply be absurd looking at the life of Paul. But note the last bit there. This is what keeps them in check God is witness. Surely this was true of Paul and the others, but ultimately God sees all and, God, and Paul knows this. Sadly, many in vocational ministry today have abused finances from Christian churches and organizations for decades and centuries. Under the cloak of wanting to do good and gospel work, a distorted sinful motivation was to be to pocket money and wealth for themselves, to think God isn't seeing, God isn't A witness, and even if it is, even if he is, we're okay with that. I remember watching a late-night infomercial type of televangelist many, many years ago, back when people watched TV, and he was selling small bottles of healing water. And I thought, (laughs) oh, how ridiculous! No one is going to buy that. But I guarantee you, if we look up this guy's name that he made large sums of money off of that. Or the latest and buzzworthy doomsday false prophet who were never getting a date wrong for the end of the world, makes up some excuse and asks for more money for the next prediction. And you think, well, nobody in their right mind would give in to that a second time. And yet, how do we find out that they amass millions based on senseless lies and deception? Greed knocks on the door of every heart here, brothers and sisters. We are not immune to its temptations, neither are people in vocational ministry. Accountability, of course, is super important, but often these things happen in the small portions of the heart, very small and very subtly. I remember driving the main guest speaker for a mini-conference for pastors, and I was kind of shocked to hear him boast to me in the car ride over from the airport. That as a pastor, he owned multiple houses and properties. Not that that's sinful in itself, but there was this awkward arrogance about it that made me uncomfortable. And before blatantly judging him, church, we too need to be careful for our motivations that feed greed, because this can, of course, happen to any of us. But we know Paul did not come with a cloak. He did not come with a pretext for greed. But even if he did try to do that, Paul knew knew that God was watching and that he couldn't escape God's eyes. And so what other motivations were they careful about? Well, verse 6 says they didn't seek glory from people, whether from uh, from their beloved church or from a greater audience. They could have made demands of that based on being apostles, but they didn't. Earlier, we talked about flattery and the temptation just to be liked. Well, seeking glory from people is different. This is not just being light, but being held in high esteem. A weightiness, that's the Greek word for glory, doxa, a weightiness of prestige. That's what, that's, that wasn't what they were seeking for either. They'd, if they wanted to, they'd be right up there as targets for our cultures today, obsession with celebrity pastors. But that's not why they risked their whole lives for the advancement of the gospel. They had a mission, they had a calling, they had a commission. And they weren't going to let anything get in the way. And so the motives of ministry, our second heading, mattered to Paul and his team. And I think they should matter to our present-day church too. And so may God grant us the sight to see what lies within the heart, to confess and repent of wayward thinking, and to return to ministry for the right reasons. And I humbly urge you to pray for your pastor and elders too. And finally, our third heading, number three, The manner of ministry, the message of ministry, the motives of ministry, and finally, the manner of ministry, verses 7 through 8. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. I love this. Because you had become very dear to us. Brothers and sisters, verses 7 through 8. Paul notably, and I think helpfully, switches gears a bit and presents a feminine example for the goal of their manner of ministry. I think this is so helpful. You know, I, I enjoy seeing new moms dote on their young infants and children. That sheer affection, care, concern, and love is hard to miss. I see that here with our recent newborns, and I see that with my close circle of friends outside of this church having their first newborn experiences, and their mother and father just doting on these children. Now, the Greek phrasing here, though, has left scholars much to debate over the years. But verse 7 is the picture of the love, patience, and affection a mother has for a nursing baby. That word gentle, the gentleness there translated in ESV is what Augustine called like a nurse among her children talking in baby language. This is the sense of that phrasing. Children here at Westminster, sometimes your mom and dad talk to you in a way that makes you cringe and you're embarrassed because they talk all lovey-dovey. Well, that is the picture of the Apostle Paul felt towards these Thessalonian Christians. Meaning this, brothers and sisters, Paul and the others were not just robots entering into a new city, delivering a cold gospel message, and then moving on to the next. Part and parcel of their gospel work was its proclamation, yes, but also sent with love and growing affection. Not that they wouldn't admonish and correct, but the point is they came with love and genuine care. Paul had not known them for very long, actually. But his affection kept growing from them, especially after the gospel began to take root. They shared not just the gospel, but their own selves. Not because, oh, these Thessalonians were so lovable and cute. But as one theologian wrote, because they were objects of God's love. That's what made them so lovable. That's what helped Paul increase affection for them. And I just thought, that is just so true. What an encouragement, but also a rebuke. Because how often do we get this so backward that to those that we think fit our description of someone deserving to be a Christian, then we might dote on them, then we might love on them, then we might grow in our affection for them. Rather than, as one theologian noted, whatever race, skin color, socioeconomic background, rich or poor, political beliefs, personality, so-and-so has. Oh, I want to share the gospel and grow in affection for them. Because why? Because they are loved by God and they are bought at a price. And so I pray that would be representative here at WPC. And may that be true of my pattern too. Paul and these gospel workers didn't just want to talk the talk with them. They wanted to walk the walk with them in love and affection. For any of us desiring to pursue ministry for the right reason, I'm not just talking about in a vocational sense, but all of us being called to ministry to be salt and light and have a part to play in gospel ministry, as a principle then, pursue this manner of ministry too. Because wow, just a it's just such a valuable lesson for us. Some of you guys like to cook. I've been over to your homes and you guys, some of you cook wonderful grand old meals. But some of us really enjoy just Cooking for the audience, that's part of the joy of cooking. But what is the one thing we dread? Well, after all the fireworks and compliments and many laughs of how great the meal was, you go back to the kitchen and it looks like World War III. And Paul wasn't like, here is this great meal for you, this preaching and teaching. But I have no desire to get through the dirty dishes with you afterward. Meaning, when life gets tough, I'll see myself out. You know, it's kind of like my seminary professor once shared what a student told him once. The student said, Professor, I want to be in ministry. I like preaching, but I just don't like people. (laughs) And the professor said, this is not going to go well. (laughs) That wasn't the pattern of the apostles. They could have done that. They were superstars. They could have done that. But no, they gave themselves up for these churches. Yes, of course, with the proclamation of the gospel, but also in the nitty-gritty of life and their desire to see them grow and thrive as believers of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Even if Paul was hundreds of miles away, he wasn't just one and done. He wanted to see them grow and grow as they had become very dear to them. Second Corinthians, a very tough, difficult letter that Paul was writing to the Corinthians from another city had that same mentality that he deeply for these people how encouraging and may i bring that encouragement to you my affection has grown for you all in just 12 months sometimes it feels like 12 years but in these 12 months it's true affections can grow just by hearing a simple story of how you're doing or where you're coming from or how the gospel is growing in you that increases affection And may God grant an increase in that. I understand my role as preacher and teacher, but as a shepherd too. And one that wants to root on your spiritual growth and understanding of the gospel. All three of these aspects of ministry were important to Paul and his friends. And they're good principles for us too. Whether as a church as a whole, whether for our leaders and pastors, whether individual Christians seeking to reach the region and the world with the gospel. And finally, just three, just a couple sentences, three quick applications then to conclude us. Number one is the gospel was first entrusted to the apostles, just like the Great Commission was, but now we are entrusted to the gospel. The gospel is entrusted to the church to hold close to the pure gospel and not our man-made additions or subtractions, to not worry about itching ears or cultural temptations, but to stay true to the gospel The apostles guarded and proclaimed with such faithfulness, that's on us now too, even to the point of their mortal demise. So we need to stay true to this and as we are entrusted with the treasure of all treasures, not our programs, not our buildings, not our resources, but entrusted with the gospel. So take this seriously as we all should. Number two, ask God to check and test your heart also. Am I pursuing ministry here, small or in big things at WPC, for the right reasons? And if the conviction is no or mixed bag, don't then just give up in discouragement. Repent. Get back up. Dust yourself off as you delight in the gospel again. And get to walking while asking God for the right motivations. But God is witness, and God can change your heart. And you need to ask God to check and test your heart, too. Finally, we've been speaking about this so often. Pray for boldness. Number three, pray for boldness. May God grant us and the church worldwide the courage and yes, boldness to press on with the gospel. And so what is your part in all this? What is your part in sharing good news boldly and with joy come what may? And I truly believe church that if you keep Christ in the center of all this and this mission and this goal and ministry for the right reasons, and you find your identity in his finished work and not your and yours, you too can carry on boldly with this message of truth. Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of grace to understand the gospel, not just to see it and hear it presented, but to accept it and to see how your Holy Spirit allows this gospel to grip our hearts and never let go. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to do ministry in big or small ways for the right reasons. Not for fame, not for money, not for popularity, or weightiness of prestige, not for reputation, not for just being popular and liked, but for the glory of you, God, alone. And may you bless us as we pursue these things in the gospel, so that we too may be a thriving gospel church. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're able please.